Please rise for the reading of God's Word. Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 4. The author says this, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to study your word this morning. Father, may we understand and know what we have not previously known. Father, give us the hearts to trust and believe as conviction and to live and walk in obedience subsequently. Father, for your glory and for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin with this question. How do you live out faith? Our world has much to say on how to live out faith. I did a Google search, and result number one from some dayspring.com said this. This is how you live out faith, at least one aspect of it. Be a friend. Choose to be intentional with your relationships and treat others how Jesus treated others. Be authentic and inclusive, and your friends will see God's love shining through you. End quote. So basically, in order to live out your faith, what it looks like is celebrating your gay friends' lifestyles, and you will be living out your faith. That's, now, in reality, that is living out your faith. It's just a great example of living out the wrong faith. You see, as a Christian, faith isn't just some emotional dribble. Faith isn't a gut feeling. Faith isn't just for getting through hard times. Faith isn't being, quote, true to your authentic self. Faith isn't simply hopeful uh, or a hopefulness that things will turn out the way you want. Instead, as we talked about last week, faith is a conduit. It's a conduit through which flows all that Jesus is for us. But if we're going to talk about Christian faith, we have to talk about faith and its necessary partner. You see, faith can, is not just a Christian term, but faith is an interaction with uh, the object of that faith. And, but as Christians, there is a particular uh, object of that faith. So faith, again, has a necessary partner. It's the, the one side of a two-sided coin. There's always both sides. You have faith on one side, and you have the object of that faith, or the content of that faith, or what that faith is on, or what that faith is holding on to, that stands on the other side of that coin. Now, uh, cute Christians say, well, the object of our faith isn't a religion, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. Well, well that, that's awesome, but, but people who support transing kids would agree with us on that point. But the reality is, is that that person who John says is the Word, he has said things, and he has done things, and that life, that person, Christ, provides the content of our faith. It provides the necessary dance partner with our faith. You see, Christian faith is 
if I could uh, give a, a bit of a definition, is such a confidence in what God has said and done that it directs every work we do. Such a confidence in what God has said and done that it directs every work we do. Now, there's going to be two other passages that we're going to look at primarily uh, along with this Hebrews 11 passage. One will be Romans 14, and then the other will be a few verses from Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4. But here in Romans 14, verse 23, it says this, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, just a reminder, you can go back and read yourself, but in Romans chapter 14, the context is that of eating meat sacrificed to idols, and whether or not it is permittable or sinful, or permissive rather, to do such a thing. And this is where the, the famous passage that we use for, for talking about matters of conscience. Now, Paul in Romans 14, he does not mean, so whichever you choose to do, whether it's to eat meat or not eat meat, whatever you choose to do, he does not mean simply make sure you have a good gut feeling about it and then do it. Or make sure you're just uh, convinced that this is, you know, your, your conscience is, is fine with this item. Or, or make sure that the pros and cons line up with eating meat or not eating meat. What he is saying is whatever you do, whether you eat the meat or you choose not to eat the meat, it must be because you believe and are convinced of what God has said. So when, when, when Paul says, by faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith, what he means is, whether you eat meat or not eat meat, you must do so being so confident and understanding specifically of God's word. For example, we offer both wine and grape juice on Sunday mornings because some consciences are, are free to either, and some feel bound to simply grape juice and no wine. So if you're going to simply drink the grape juice and claim that it's a matter of conscience, that your conscience is bound, then your conscience must be convinced by God's Word, not convinced by a tradition, not convinced by your experiences, not even convinced by what it might do to some random person that you don't seem to know or have met yet. It must be convinced by standing upon, grasping the Word of God. Now he's also saying, the author here of Romans, Paul, is saying, if what you do does not proceed from faith, then it is sin. So what he's saying is anything that we do, any work that we do, any action that we take, any, any words that we speak, if they do not proceed from faith, then it is sin. And that will be part of my main argument today, that any work not proceeding from faith is sin. And I told you last week, faith is that important. 
So let's take a step further and ask the question, uh, as my first main point today, what, what's it mean to work proceeding from faith? To quote, work proceeding from faith. Or to put it another way, or doing everything from faith. Now, as we think about that, practically we need to think everything, first of all. Don't just think spiritual things. But it includes things like when you serve the church, you should do it by faith. When you serve your family, it should proceed from faith. When you see a tough situation and you have options, you have decisions to make, you should make decisions from faith. When you walk on a beautiful piece of property, you should do so proceeding from faith. When you discipline your kids, it should proceed from faith. And what does, again, proceeding from faith mean? What we mean is to do what is good and right in all things, because you trust something God has said related to that work. Now, did you catch that? As to do what is good and right in all things, because you trust something God has said related to that work, meaning there is something God has said that is driving the way and the what and the why of your work. Now this does not mean, I think it's helpful for us when we think about uh, um, understanding something, to understand what we mean, what we don't mean, what we affirm, what we are denying. What this does not mean is that I'm going to do this work with faith that it's going to turn out the way I envision it. That's the way our world usually uses the idea of faith. Well, I'm just going to persevere because I've got faith. And by faith they mean it's going to turn out as I hope. What it does not mean also is that I'm, I'm doing this thing and I'm going to just simply make sure I feel good about Jesus while I'm doing it. So I'm just going to take this action and I'm going to sprinkle some Jesus or some happy thoughts about Christ as I'm working through it. This also does not mean that this is simply what my conscience is telling me. Now remember the Romans 14 passage is in the middle of the conscious issue or the conscience issue as it relates to eating meat. For many people, when they say, I'm going to do this thing that's in line with my conscience, what they simply mean is that it's in line with my gut feeling and nothing more. But again, whether one eats meat or not, in a matter of conscience, the conscience still has to be tied to faith in God's words. Meaning, again, it can't just be a gut feeling. It cannot just be a tradition. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Christian faith is always tied to something God has said. That's the other side of the coin, period. So when you talk about faith, if you're going to claim faith, if you're going to say, I have faith in it, I have faith, I'm exercising faith. If you can't name from God's word what your faith is staked upon, then it isn't Christian faith. It is most certainly faith, but it's not Christian faith. And it's not, if it's not Christian faith, it is not the kind of faith that will save you. Which also implies a, a couple things here. It implies that you must know and remember what God has said. And the second implication 
is that the more you know of what God has said, the more content you have to put faith in. I mean, think about the complexity of life. Imagine all you know, though, is Jesus died for my sin and paid the price. Now, certainly, that's at the pinnacle. That's at the climax or the apex of our faith. But what about lots of other aspects of life? Now, certainly, that Jesus dying and paying has, has implications. It has effect on all areas of our life. But God has said more. So the question is, is, do you know what God has said in things like parenting, emotions, sexuality, marriage, depression, anxiety, legalism? If you're going to walk through these issues, and all you know is that Jesus died for your sin and paid the price, then you have very little to stake your faith upon as you walk through those. Now, now knowing the gospel at its core and its foundation is certainly a starting point. It's definitely the foundation of the house, but God has said more. He said more on the first floor and the second floor of the house that we have to move on to. And the more we've moved on, the more of the house that's built, aka what God has said, then the more there is for us to place faith in as we walk in these various things like parenting or emotions or depression or anxiety or legalism. You see, to the extent to which you know what God has said is the extent to which you can live by faith. If the necessary dance partner for faith is what God has said, then you can dance with more of what God has said. You can exercise greater faith because you know more of what God has said and what a gift that is to us. You see, the measure of faith you have will be directly proportionate to the measure of God's word you rightly know and hold tightly to. Let me say that again. The measure of faith you have will be directly proportionate to the measure of God's word you rightly know and hold tightly to. Let me give you an example. I'm going to go to work today by faith. And maybe all you know is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, paid the price, absorbed God's wrath, resurrection, so on. So you're going to place faith in that, and you're going to try to work. Now, that's valuable, and that's important, and, and again, a starting point. But God has said a whole lot more for which we should and and can place our faith in. So, for for example, just a few examples, that man should work six days and rest one. Not five and two, but six and one. And that this is good for us. That rhythm is good for us. He also has said things like God, that man should provide for his family, particularly men. And if he doesn't, he's no better than a pagan. Or that man should do work that loves his neighbor. Meaning the quality, the aim of his work should be for the good of others. That man should be on mission to establish God's kingdom in whatever he does. That's not just serving at church, but whether he's writing code or, or shelving books at a library, he, he should be doing it in a way to establish God's kingdom. Now, if you know those kinds of things and what God has said, 
then you place your faith in those things as you put your hand to the plow, as you work. And you see, I hope you see that that begins to build a more robust, a more full faith that you can work in, that you work out of. That then everything you do, again, proceeds from that sort of faith. Now let's look here specifically at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was uh, commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So the next point is this. Why Abel's work was commended as righteous? Why was his accepted and Cain's not? Now remember, again, faith has a necessary partner, the content of the faith. Faith is grasping, confidently believing, foundationally standing upon. But the what it's grasping, what it's believing, and what it's standing on, and again, is the other side of the coin. So as we walk through Abel, the story of Abel and Cain here, I want you to spot, if you can, these two dance partners. I'll try to make it explicit as well. Now let's read just a couple portions of Genesis 4 and Genesis 3. It's key that when you read Genesis 4, you need to understand that it's in the context of Genesis 3. Some would call this just simply good reading comprehension. But Genesis 4 is following Genesis 3. Genesis 4 says this. We'll read them backwards, though, because that's fun. Genesis 4, verse 3 through 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, preceding this, in Genesis chapter 3, we're just going to read verse 21. Then the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So here's what God said in Genesis 3, verse 21. Payment for your sin, Adam and Eve requires the death of another. It requires the spilling of blood. Now, the time lapse between that moment and Cain and Abel is not thousands of years, but moments of time, maybe days or years. And what we also know is that Cain and Abel are coming to bring a sacrifice. So there's clearly been conversation between Adam and Eve and instruction from Adam and Eve to their sons that there is a sacrifice needed. And so here we have Cain and Abel bringing their sacrifice. And we're trying to ask the question, why was Cain's not regarded and why was Abel's regarded? Why was one accepted and one not? Now, this isn't about Abel working harder for his sacrifice or Cain bringing a quote-unquote cheaper sacrifice. Again, if you understand the context, certainly all that man would put his hand to plow against or to work is going to be cursed. But what's specifically named in the Genesis 3 account is that the land is going to be cursed, that working the ground is going to be cursed 
So Cain is bringing the fruit of working the cursed ground. So, so it's not that he's working harder or that Abel's working harder. That's not the situation. Here's what happens. Abel remembered what God had done and said, and he did likewise. Cain either forgot or neglected or disregarded what God had done or said, and therefore did not do likewise. And I'm going to fill in the blanks of what that is, what, what exactly I'm talking about, so just hang with me. Let me put that in the terms of Hebrews 11 and the Romans 14 passage. Abel's work proceeded from faith in God's words. You see it in Hebrews 11:4, there at the very beginning. By faith, Abel offered. Again, by faith in what? Was this a, a gut feeling? Was it just an emotion? By faith in God's words. That's what we're seeing here in Genesis 4. You see, Abel had paid attention to what God had done with his parents. And what God had said. And he acted accordingly. In a sense, what Abel does is, in a sense, a reversal of Adam and Eve. See, they had heard what God had said, and they did the opposite of what God had said. But Abel hears what God says, and he does what God said. We too, just like Abel, must pay attention to what God has said. Now, if I could kind of pause or slow down for a moment to think about a little bit of application here. I think there's kind of maybe three categories or three camps of people First is this, some who just do and do and do and don't give a second thought about faith. They just do and do, and then what usually happens with this group of people is one of two things happen. Either they fizzle out or they grumble and then eventually fizzle out. Why do you think most people get worn, if not all, get worn out at a church like CTL. It's not because we expect too much. It's because people can't keep the pace if they don't serve by faith. It should be the Phillips next uh, tattoo, or Pastor Jeff still got room on his arm for this one. You can't keep the pace if you don't serve by faith. And the reality is, is that your elders can't be a nursing mother. Like, like we can't, can't fix this faith issue. That's, we have to, you, you have to work on that. But you won't keep the pace if you don't serve by faith. You don't have, if it's not proceeding, you'll see later as, as we talk about uh, proceeding from faith, you have all the grace needed to work in a way that's proceeding from faith. But you don't if it's just acts of self-righteousness. So some, many, just do and do and don't give a second thought about faith. They will fizzle out or grumble. Second group, some of us hardly do anything 
because we over-spiritualize everything. Here's what I mean by that. We use all sorts of high and lofty spiritual language that sounds a lot like faith. So what it just means is I'm going to go do these acts, and I'm just going to surround it with a cloud of spirituality. I'm going to surround it with a cloud of things like, oh, God's got this, or oh, God's awesome, or oh, God's amazing, or oh, I'm going to pray my way through, or I'm going to worship my way through, or blah, blah, blah. And so you have all of these spiritual lofty language surrounding your supposed work And with that comes great spiritual highs and emotional highs. But then what happens often for these people is they never actually do anything. Or at least they do very little. Because it's not ultimately proceeding from faith. It's not proceeding from faith in what God has said as it relates to that item or that service that they're doing. Instead, they're just doing, doing, doing while baptizing it or washing it with a bunch of spiritual language. And then because that spiritual language feels real good and the emotional hype is real high, then it blows the actual acts of service out of proportion. So what's it do? It makes you feel as though what you're doing is proceeding from faith, and it makes you feel as though what you're doing is great and awesome and amazing and lots. When in reality, you're doing very little. And it doesn't last. Maybe there's a third group of others who serve well, doing much of what they do proceeding from faith. And I would encourage you that you should be filled with joy. We'll talk more about this in a bit. But what I mean is this, God's gift of faith that he's given you and the object of that faith he has given you should make you the most thankful and joyful people on earth. God has done this. You should be filled with joy. Walk in that. Now again, let's back, let's back up out of this application point. Now remember, there is a necessary dance partner for Christian faith. There's two sides of this coin. It's God's words on the other side. But what was the content of those words or the substance? Again, back to the story of Cain and Abel. Abel had faith in blood-bought justification. Now, now whether or not Abel would have at this point in the narrative of the Old Testament, whether or not he would have understood that blood represents life and, and uh, because oxygen is carried through the blood, he, 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 we don't know. He likely did not understand that. But what he did understand was that in order for his sin to be dealt with before God— An animal had to die. Its blood had to be spilt. See, I've mentioned briefly already, God had killed the very first animal. That's what we see in Genesis 3. And used it to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. Now Now remember, their nakedness was a symbol for their shame and guilt. And so what was happening is God killed this animal, covered their sin. God's dealing with their shame and with their guilt. And so Abel, then we get to Genesis 4, remembers this. And so when it's time to deal with his sin, what's he do? He brings an animal. And what's Cain do when it came time to deal with his sin? He brings a veggie. Now don't pay much attention 
to the specific items that were brought. That's not really what makes the difference here. God could have sacrificed a Brussels sprout and, and somehow used those leaves to cover Adam and Eve. And, and it would have been the same, same point here, just made in the reverse. What you need to pay attention to is the fact that Cain brought a lack of faith in blood-bought justification. He brought a lack of faith in what God had said and done. Abel brought faith in blood-bought justification. He brought faith in what God had done with his parents. And what's Hebrew have to say about this? Chapter 11, verse 4, through which Abel was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Do you see why he was commended? Again, it wasn't because he brought a more costly sacrifice. It wasn't because he just had googly thoughts about Jesus, or he had this gut feeling about what he was about to do, or that he was hopeful that it would turn out right. It was because he heard of what God had done. He believed it with such conviction that he lived accordingly. His sacrifice proceeded from faith, from believing what God had said. Now let me boil this down a little bit further for us. Genesis 3, with the fall, God says, have faith in my words and you will be saved. And specifically, do as I have commanded you and you will live forever in my garden. Adam and Eve instead say, we will have faith in our own words, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then we get to Genesis 4. Abel says, I have faith in what God has said. Cain says, I'll have faith in what I think is best. Isn't that really what life boils down to for all of us in every moment? Works proceeding from faith in what God has said? Or works proceeding from faith in what I have said? That's the choice you and I face in every mundane moment of every day. Will I work in a way that proceeds, is informed, is standing upon what God has said? Or will I work in a way that proceeds from what I think? what I feel, what others have said. Let me give you an example. And I don't usually ask for uh, permission uh, to share examples, but this one I did. The other day on um, this past week, we took all of our kids to see the ultrasound of our uh, sixth child on its way. Of course, the baby was had its hands and feet all up in its face and uh, it was hard to get a clear shot of its face on the ultrasound, and and if we had wanted to discover um, the one of two genders, that's uh, an option. The uh, the um, the tech could not figure it out herself. Uh, so you know, at this point, the baby is genderless, um, <laughs> at least to us. <laughs> uh, God knows its gender; uh, He has assigned it. Uh, to the baby. So anyways, we're watching the, 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 the baby there, and, and the kids are enjoying it. It's their first time getting to be a part of something like this. And, uh, and so we leave, and, and after that, Sarah, ha- uh, sorry, me and the kids leave, and Sarah has an appointment with her midwife afterwards. And, 
and, uh, and then we pick her up, and, and Sarah says, oh, everything's great and healthy, and, you know, praise God for all that, and, and then I look at her and say, uh, you sound like there's a butt coming. Uh, sure enough, there was a butt, and what I heard was there coming out of her appointment from the midwife was a feeling of discouragement because she isn't, quote-unquote, bonding with the baby. She isn't bonding with the child. She's not connecting with the baby. Now, my immediate thought in the moment, as should be everyone's thought, is where in the Bible does it say things about, or what has God said about bonding with the baby in the womb? Where in the Bible does it say, thou must bond with your baby? Now, Let's define what's coming from the midwife at this point. By bonding with the baby, what the midwife means is thou must feel a certain sentimental attachment to your baby. And so again, my question then is why, where does the Bible say thou must feel a certain sentimental attachment to your baby? Like, how, do you, how do you measure that? And I think to myself at this moment, all right, I'm going to have to teach my wife. I'm going to have to guide her through this. And right now is not the moment for that. Uh, all the kids are in the car, and our AC doesn't work at the moment, so it's a little hot. But what's happening is she's being tempted to do work proceeding from faith in what man has said or what she is saying versus proceeding to work or to do work proceeding from faith in what God has said. Now later, we're talking, and I hadn't brought this back up yet, and Sarah starts talking about the Bible and says, I've not been praising the Lord in thankfulness for our baby. I've not been grumbling about it. I don't have ill feelings about it. I'm not sad that I'm pregnant. I'm not, I, I'm not any of those things. But I'm just complaining and grumbling about being big physically and dealing with the rest of life and five kids and a new house and all while being very physically uncomfortable. And instead, I need to be content with what the Lord has given me. I need to start thanking the Lord and praising Him for the circumstances He's put me in, including the baby that's inside of me. I should find joy in the Lord's blessing and all that He has planned for our family and for the little soul that's inside of my body. Now listen, church, that is a great example. The two options here, faith in what man has said, quote, let's make sure we have some sentimental, emotional attachment to this thing inside me. I mean, just think about the tyranny there that you will place yourself under. How in the world do you even measure that? How do you know I have enough sentimental attachment to this? And you can see how abortion gets grouped in here because, well, I just don't have any sentimental attachment to this, so therefore the life doesn't matter. So on one option, he has faith in what man has said, or on the other side, faith in what God has said. Namely, I'm content in what God has brought me. I'm satisfied. I'm thankful. I'm praising him. I have faith in what he has planned for me and this child and all the circumstances surrounding 
my life right now. And the reality is here, this is not, uh, not tyranny, but freedom. Because for this task, for this faith, in these words, Sarah has all the grace she needs in order to live by faith. The reality is, is all of us have. I mean, you've got to look at each mundane moment of life because in those moments, you're going to have the opportunity to exercise faith in what man is saying or has said or you're saying concerning that situation. Or you can have faith in what God has said. And for many of us, we, maybe we don't know what God has said concerning that situation. And you should go find out. He may not talk about it directly, But he will, he will speak about the things of life in ways that maybe the implication speaks to how your faith, what your faith should be placed in as you walk through that situation. There's much freedom and joy walking in faith in what God has said as opposed to faith in what man has said. Now next, let's talk about what's the danger when work is not done proceeding from faith. What's the dangers? First of all, sin will be crouching at your door. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, this is right after his sacrifice is not accepted. Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, he says this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So what happens is Cain choosing to not live in a way that proceeds from faith in God, but instead faith in self, then marks his front door for all sorts of sin. The best literary example I could think of here is in The, in the Hobbit, uh, where Gandalf marks Bilbo's door with this uh, kind of this hidden symbol that tells the dwarfs which house to go to. Now, if you remember from the story, this is, uh, uh, there's all these, hob- or all these dwarfs coming to Bilbo's house, and the last thing he wants is all these dwarfs crouching at his door and entering in. He, they eat all of his food. They, they dirty and uh, up his clean and tidy place. It is very contrary to what Bilbo desires in his house. Now, why? Why is it that when we choose, or why is it that sin is crouching at your door when you choose to not live by faith in what God has said? It's because when you choose to not live by faith in what God has said, instead, you choose to live by faith in what man has said, then it opens up the door to all sorts of things that are contrary to what God has said, and what God has said is good for you. Again, you're always living by faith. It's just the content of that faith changes. Either what God has said or you have said. Either God's law or your law. And when it comes to be that you are living by faith in your law, then immorality knows no limits. So sin will be crouching at your door. Next, God does not accept it. Another danger Like a hamster in a wheel of your own making, trying to do good things, but doing them by faith in yourself, what you've said or others have said, you end up displeasing God, and then you come up empty-handed every time. Instead of being commended for your work, it's condemned. 
This, you, you and I, if we're following Christ, there's no longer condemnation for us. Like, that's not what awaits us. But even as Christians who love and follow Christ and believe in his words will do works not from faith, and those works are worthy of condemnation. And so what happens then is you confuse the feeling of condemnation for the work you've done with being condemned ultimately. So I'm not talking about being condemned ultimately, but your work's being condemned. And so you feel the weight of those condemned works as you should. Like, that's a good thing. It's God, through this work of feeling condemned, this conviction, if you will, that guides you away from doing works that don't proceed from faith. That's why many of us feel condemned all the time. And the last thing you need to hear is, oh, listen, Christian, there's no condemnation for you, for you're in Christ Jesus. What some of us need to hear is that you're doing works not proceeding from faith, and those works are worthy of condemnation. And true freedom, and true joy, and true experiencing the fact that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus is doing works, is being told that I need to do work that proceeds from faith in what God has said. Next, danger is work not done in faith is necessarily work done in self-righteousness or work done for or by self-righteousness. Righteous works done proceeding from faith or works done to prove your righteousness. That's why, that's why Cain's works were not accepted. But Abel worked proceeding from faith that Jesus, or that God had provided the justification he needed. Next, it produces anger, a danger of not doing works proceeding from faith, is that it produces anger. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? Why would Cain be angry? Well, Cain's angry because his work isn't accepted. Because his sacrifice isn't accepted. Why? Well, he puts all this energy, puts all this work into proving himself. And his self-righteousness once again comes up empty-handed. Now, there are many more dangers. But let's move on to the last point. How do you and I know it's done in faith or done proceeding from faith? I've, there are many things. Here, I'm just going to list three. The first one is this, that it's done with your best. If it's going to proceed from faith, it's going to be done with your best. That doesn't mean your best in one area to the neglect of others, but uh, other areas that you're called to be faithful, but that you're faithfully doing your best across the board. Genesis 4, 3 through 4, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering the fruit of the ground, and also, or Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So you see the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions of this part of his flock. Now I know this is hard for, for many of us to really grasp, but this, just think about this with me for a second. When you spend every day caring for an animal that will sustain and fuel your family, you feed it, water it, give it medicine, care for its environment, praying for rain, 
And then when it comes to sacrifice, you have to give the absolute best to an altar where it will be burned up. That takes faith. And faith always gives its best because God, because faith believes God deserves your best. And faith believes that God is sufficient. And then when it comes to sacrifice, God is faithful. And you know this and you remember. See, faith always gives the best. If you're a working, proceeding from faith, there will be a vigor. There will be an increasing quality. They'll be giving the best out of your first round. But I wonder how many of us give out of the leftovers. Listen, that's why so many of us have a hard time sustaining what we do give. Because it's not given by faith. We just give out of the seconds. And God's not satisfied with the seconds. If you be given by faith, it would be your best. And for that, God's grace will sustain God's grace will not sustain your leftovers. Now, this applies everywhere. Remember, works proceeding from faith includes everything and everywhere. So categories like your time, how you use it to serve your church, your family, your vocation. How about your money? Your giving to the church. Your stewarding of the inheritance you're supposed to give to your children and so on. How about your emotions, energy, mental strength? Faith will give its best. Next, so that's how you, uh, one of the indicators that it's being done by faith, at least Lord willing. Next, it's done with joy. Remember, Cain was angry. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you work proceeding from faith, if your, if your doing is informed by God's saying, then be joyful. Why? Because it will be accepted. It will be commended. That's what we learn here from the story of Abel in Hebrews. That, that he, he does this work by faith in what God has said, and then his work is commended. It's accepted. And praise God for that. Why did Cain get angry? Because his faith was in himself, and it was condemned. Let's talk about even when the results are, are not quite what you wanted or you were hoping for. Maybe the person you were serving didn't appreciate it as much. Or maybe the circumstances didn't turn out the way you wanted. How do you act when the results come around? Do you grumble? Do you complain? Do you get angry? I ain't doing that ever again. Let me ask you this question. Did you really do it? proceeding from faith then? Or did you do it proceeding from a desire for a particular response or a particular outcome? Now, I'm not saying that you can't rightly judge the situation and say, well, you know, maybe there's something wrong with that person or the situation or there's brokenness here, certainly. What I am saying is that if you're not careful, you will do that work, not proceeding from faith, but whatever you can get out of the situation. But if you're doing it from faith, then you can still be joyful even when the circumstances don't turn out the way you prefer. Why? 
Because what God has said, what God has done, what your faith is upon will not change. The other side of the coin, what God has said, does not change. Now, there's a good many of you that do work and work well, and then you still don't live with joy, worrying that it's never good enough. Listen, if it's done from faith, because God has said, then be joyful, be thankful, be content. Your work will be commended and accepted. Thirdly, and lastly, signs of work done by faith is that it'll be done with a justified rest or rest, restfulness that comes from justification. What I mean from that is this. If you believe what God has said, then your living will be restful. Why? Remember, all work must, comes from faith. It's just a matter of whether it's faith in God's words or faith in your own words. Faith in your own words or what others have said or tradition and so on will leave you with the uncertainty of self-righteousness trying to earn your justification. But faith in God's words will leave you with the restfulness of true justification. It will leave you resting in God's justification. Listen, that's going back to Cain and Abel. That was the difference. Cain did not believe what God had said, but Abel did. Abel understood, and by faith he sacrificed because he believed that God is the one who ultimately justifies, and he has provided a way, and it's through the blood of another. And so you will have rest if you're working, proceeding from faith, because you will believe that God bought your justification through the shedding of Christ's blood alone. And with that, there is peacefulness, and there is steadfastness. Let me read for you and close with this passage from Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Please be with us as the Spirit goes to work to apply it to our souls in the moments, in the minutes, in the days ahead. Father, ask all this for your glory and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.